Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonioan, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Nico LaHood. Nico's the former criminal district attorney of Bear County, criminal defense lawyer. Uh, he's got his own podcast, R-Rated Christianity. Uh, he's a public persona. He's, a, he's very vocal about his faith, uh, being a father and a husband. Um, Nico, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dad. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Are you hanging in there? Oh yeah, no, all is well. I have no complaints. I, I'm, I'm, I was shocked to hear that you're a keeper of chickens and bees. I do. I have two beehives. Well, you know, I've got to have, I got to keep my hands busy. I think it's idle time, right? Good. You know, I'd like to, we're, we're talking about a garden, God willing in this next season, especially with all this craziness, you can't find toilet paper or food during this last month. I'm not going to do anything about the toilet paper, but the chickens has been a has been an idea, and people have suggested the bees because we have some land that it might be beneficial. The um, the chickens are really easy, and they're funny, and they're social animals, and the bees are kind of set it and forget it. We have foxes and coyotes in my area, though, so we have to be real. You got to have a good coop that you close at night. That's yeah. the key. Yeah. Uh, Nico, I start all these with usually about ten questions, um, and and. If there's any way you can speak up a little louder, get closer yes. to your mic. I want to make sure that I don't sound completely overpowering. Okay. Um, but I'm going to do a little a fewer questions with you because I want to get into some stuff. Uh, first, I always ask people, what are your favorite sort of hidden gems of the city? I mean, you've, you're born and raised here. So what are some of the kind of best kept secrets you think of the city? Um, being around my family. <laughs> I love my kids. <laughs> I'm married up. I'm, my wife is too good for my stupid ass. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I do. I'm probably can't it. talk about the podcast. Uh, my fights, guess I do, but you know, and I'm married up, but I, you know, I'm really kind of a, it's either church workout and I work out in my garage. Now I've been doing that for years since I've been in public office. I started working out at, at the house to save time. And, and I just enjoy my family now, now that I'm not out speaking six, seven days a week and in this meeting or that meeting, I, I, I have rediscovered weekends. So I, we just occasional dinners, a lot of friends and fellowship. We're just real simple. What about visitors who come in? Like I always tell them, go check out the uh, Japanese tea garden. I think that's like a great off the beaten path kind of thing in the town. I, I send people to the missions. There you go. Yeah. I think, I think I love history now. I think I got a D when I was in history younger. I can't get enough of history now. I'm, I've gone back and started studying the Constitution and the Articles of Confederation, the Federalist Papers, and the Bill of Rights, and the, all that declaration. and constant, I mean, I just love it now. I can't get enough of it. So I like sending them to historical places, of course. They already know about the Riverwalk. Um, that's it. That's a good one. I think the other missions, I was here three years before I finally saw them and was kind of disappointed it took me so long. Um, next question, uh, have you caught up with Chasnoff lately? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. He don't want to talk. To, I, I got nothing. To, he didn't, I have nothing for him anymore. Y'all had such a public spat. I didn't know if after you got out of office, y'all like, you know. Look, brother, if, if Brian reached out to me and he, and he wanted to talk, if he ever needed prayer, if he ever needed counsel, if he was ever accused of a crime, I would fight for him like I fight for all my clients. And I would minister him like I minister to anybody, whether I'm doing prison ministry or somebody in, in our Bible study. I would give him, but, but I also tell him when he's wrong and I'll tell him the truth and I'll tell it harshly or softly, however he wants. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I have, 
I, I have to admit that, you know, he, he's irritating because I don't believe, and this is my opinion, that he's an honest person. And I can prove that if he ever would ever talk to me, but he hasn't. But I, even though I'm called in my faith, you know, Justin, as you know, to forgive, and it's a choice, it's not a feeling. And so I've chosen to do that with a lot of people, and I, I forgive him. And, and if he ever needs help, if he ever needs anything, I'm, I'm here for him. I was really just kind of messing with you, but I didn't know oh. if there was any, I mean, no, That's an it, honest answer. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it. I didn't know if after it was all sort of said and done, there was like a call of, Hey man, um, no. what, how would you describe already Christianity? I've listened to a few episodes. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, the R rated catches people's attention. It stands for real, raw and redemption. The real is we talk about real topics. We're not very Christianese language, obviously. We don't talk about the typical kumbaya topics in a church to feel good. We talk about real topics. We do it in a raw way. I use some slang that, that pisses off some church people. I never use the Lord's name in vain. I don't drop any F-bombs on that podcast because I consider my audience and, and my faith in Ephesians 4.29 tells me to consider my audience. Very close a few times, though, I saw. I have been close. You saw some of the podcasts where, yeah, I, I did get close on some of these. But it's an apologetic style podcast. What that means, it comes from the Greek word apologia, to give an answer. And when you look at the Greek apologia, it's to give a defense, almost like a defense attorney defending your client. I always tell people my number one client is a first century Jew named Jesus. He went by Yeshua, but they translated it to Jesus. And so I give a defense for why are you a Christian? What does that mean? Tell me about this topic. I think the church has done a crappy job answering some really good questions that people have, and especially our young people. And I think that sucks. And they, they don't honor God. They don't honor his word. It, it, it drives. Did you say I could use slang every once in a while? Yeah, whatever okay? you want. Um, it drives, the sh- it drives, irritates the shit out of me when, when people, they falsely accuse and convict my faith and God for something he didn't do. Bill Maher's really good at it. And I would love to talk to him someday. He just has a misunderstanding of, of the faith. And I went through a deep dive, Justin, as you've heard probably in some of my talks after my brother was murdered. I was pissed off at God. I asked a bunch of questions, questions that the typical Christian or the typical church person doesn't ask. And there's answers to that. It was a hard road. It was a, it was a rough road. I, I lived in the prism of anger and unforgiveness for years. And I was released from that, man. And I'm forever grateful to God for that. And, and, but I have answers for why I'm a Christian. So this podcast, in a raw way, not fake kumbaya, you know, a way talks about a, a real guy who I believe was the Messiah and God on incarnate. And then there's answers to all these questions people have. And so we try to address real questions. So I was the editor of the law review at Baylor. And one of the articles we published was a analysis of the criminal prosecution of Jesus. And that professor then went on to write a book about it, but that was his sort of God, analysis. I would love to read that. Let me tell you why. That is the most famous murder scene in the history of mankind. Jesus Christ Uh, This guy, this first century Jew was murdered by the Romans and they were really damn good at murdering people. And he he did not get due process. As you know, from doing that, that review, there was a a, a Jewish law in place that due process. They, they tried him at nighttime. They couldn't Caiaphas and and Pontius Pilate and Herod. Nobody could find anything wrong with him. They they just gave into the mob mentality, kind of what we're seeing today, ironically. And Pilate just said, screw it, man, give him Jesus. I don't know what the hell you want him for. We'll give you Barabbas, kill this guy. He couldn't find anything wrong with him. So there was no due process. He didn't confront his witnesses. He didn't have effective assistance of counsel. He wasn't tried by his peers. And it was done in a very expedient way in, 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 the, in the hidden of night. So it was a murder scene. It was a, you know, and it was not done justly. So it's interesting you did that article. I didn't know about that. I, I didn't write it. I published it, though, but I will send okay. it to you. I, it, that yeah, professor went on to write a whole book on it, and it's been redone. I think they did a video of it, too. 
Um, you know, you're an attorney, you're a trial lawyer. I have heard, you know, people that even have said, well, I'm not a big Nico fan, but man, that guy is good in trial. Some of these prosecutors that you ruffled their feathers back in the day. I mean, I've heard many people say how good you are in trial. What are your thoughts on zoom trials? Uh, none at all. I think they're horrible. They're going to wake him. There's no way. I mean, yeah, right. you got someone cross-examination, you read body language, walking and talking evidence in, objecting. How do you approach the bench with it? Was I mean, how do you know that if we're, in, if you and I are in a jury box right now, how do I know that, that Fulano, my uncle is in the back watching too, and then gives me his two damn cents and nobody asked for. And it's it just, it's a horrible idea. Uh, I have a lot of opinions about, about what's going on right now, but Zoom trials is definitely, it's not constitutional and I would never support it or advise it for a client. Yeah, you know, there was an ABA article and there was some jurors, one of them was on a Peloton working out and another one like cuddled up in their bed with their cat. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about your your run as DA. I think to some extent it unfairly got clouded in some of the controversies that happened, but you actually did a lot and changed a lot of the processes within the DA's office that I don't think got enough attention at the time. Um, talk to, I mean, you did pretrial diversion, you changed the public integrity unit. Uh, maybe I said that wrong, how you titled it, but talk to me about some of your accomplishments in the DA's office. Yeah, we went from white collar to public integrity unit. We, did a, we started a law enforcement integrity unit that of course pissed off some of the union at first until they realized, damn, if I'm in the right, Nico's going to stand in front of us. If I'm in the wrong, I got some problems. And that's the way it should be, by the way. Um, we started a conviction integrity unit because it was like only the ninth in the country, third in the state only at the time, because we should have honest and good convictions. I mean, our oath was to ensure justice was done, not to secure convictions. That means, did we get it right? And people, why are you starting a conviction integrity unit? Because I'm the DA and my responsibility is to protect the community from itself, but also from the government. I'm not a big government guy. I'm a, I don't know, libertarian, leaning Republican now, whatever, but I've always been the same. Even when I ran as a Democrat, I was a blue dog Democrat. I was proud to be a Democrat back then and a blue dog Democrat. And, but I believed in, in you know, kind of small government, man. Just take care of my roads, make sure we don't get foreign invaders, make sure we can do business and protect us from each other. And that includes a good justice system. And I was honored to serve as district attorney. I never thought I could. Justin, as you know, I was arrested for selling drugs when I was younger. My brother was murdered in my driveway. People thought I was going to go straight to prosecution, and I ended up being a defense attorney for uh, almost a little over 13 years, and I did it passionately, as you mentioned earlier. And I was honored to serve as DA, and I, and I think I did a different perspective. What I am not good at, brother, is I am a shitty politician because I don't tell people what they want to hear. I tell them the truth. Um, my, my no is a no. My yes is a yes. I'll give you my answer. I won't try a case in the court of public opinion, and I'll meet with anybody. I never. You can ask anybody that worked with me, at the time, anybody, I never said no to a meeting. I've been in the toughest meetings, Justin, you can ever imagine. And meetings where the prosecutor's like, damn, Nico, why'd you do that meeting with that family? Because I either chose against the death penalty or something, you know, and everyone thought I was going to be this pro-death, which I am a responsible supporter of the death penalty. Responsible, that's the key word. But, but many times I chose against it because of facts or law or the way juries were moving in that season. And, and I met with every family. I never told a family no, Justin. And because that wasn't given the respect to us by Governor Perry at the time, um, I, I, I made sure that I didn't, I wasn't a hypocrite. And, and talk to me about the pretrial diversion, because Susan Reed was very staunchly against any type yes. of pretrial diversion program. What is a pretrial diversion program? <laughs> and then sort of how did you institute it or what did you bring to pass as your time at the DA? 
Yeah, we, we, we started, we did a couple of things. We did, um, we did deferred adjudication on, on obstruction of highway, which is different on DWI cases. Before they changed the laws, we were kind of ahead of the curve on that because people were forced, they, they, their lives were being substantially altered. And rightfully so, they're taking responsibility, but come on, man, they had a conviction on their record. So we started there and then pretrial diversion. Think about pretrial diverting the adjudication of, of any type of adjudication of guilt or even deferred adjudication. And the key to pretrial diversion is you can get it expunged. That's the key. So it's a special type of supervision. It doesn't, we, we ran it through the probation office. I worked very well with the probation department. I, it's just a no-brainer. It's in the statute. If we allow it, why wouldn't we want to do it for certain nonviolent crimes? You know, I had a huge advocacy, and I think we instilled a, a restorative justice model because I think I'm a product of restorative justice uh, from what I went through the justice system when I was young and very foolish. But yet I was harsh on violent crimes. I mean, Janine Jones, no one said could be prosecuted. And we prosecuted Janine Jones because of the hard work that one of my law partners, Jason Goss and, and Jay and other people and myself, we worked on together. Um, she's gonna meet the Lord from prison where she belongs, you know, and that's justice. That's the right result. So pretrial diversion to get back to that answer is it's a wonderful opportunity for a first time offender or for whenever a prosecutor uses their discretion and feels that it's appropriate for someone to expunge a case if they fulfill all the stat, the requirements of their, of their agreement with the state and with the government and the judge. And so it doesn't go on their record and it can be expunged. So we, we implemented that and I think it was the right thing to do. And what would you say were your biggest accomplishments at the DA? I think the culture in the office, the okay. culture changed. I think people enjoyed, there was a lot of things and you'll never hear me say, and I never did when I was in office, me or my or I, it was always we, us and our. I was the leader of that organization for a period of time. The buck stopped with me. I never passed on through people under the bus. I, was, I took responsibility. I stood in front of the folks that worked with me. But the culture, I think people even now are saying that the culture was very different. I like to think that people enjoyed coming to work and took pride in being prosecutors. And there, there was, it's right here on my, uh, where is it at? Oh, it's up there. Everybody that left my office, it's right behind me. You said, do what's right, not what's easy. Everybody knew that. Do what's right, not what's easy. If it's whatever, here's where the only rules in the office. Don't do anything illegal. Obviously, it's the DA's office. Don't do anything unethical. Obviously, that's going to, but do what's right. Do what's right, not what's easy. I might not agree with you. You might get spoken to about it and, and learn from it, but you're, not, you're never going to lose your job if you did what's ethical and what was legal. For me, I always add in their moral, but I don't impose that on anybody else. But but so that was it. I think people enjoyed coming to work and appreciated the environment. How many lawyers were at the DA's office? Around 200 when I was there. It was 500 employees roughly. Okay. And we're a little different than some cities because our DA's office is also our county attorney uh, in which other counties have a county attorney and a DA. In our, in our county, the district attorney is in charge of both of those functions, right? It, it's called a criminal district attorney. So in Travis County, they have a district attorney and they have a county attorney. So the county attorney is the county's civil firm, and they're also the misdemeanor prosecutors. And then, and then the district attorney handles all felony. And for, for us in Harris County, I believe Tarrant County, there might be one other one. I, I can't think. I think there's one other one, but they're criminal district attorneys. That means that they handle all the felonies, child protective services, all the civil work, and all the misdemeanors. So it was a big operation overlook. Uh, you, 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 you would always say you were the criminal district attorney, even though y'all had the civil function in-house. I never really understood 
why. So your time in the DA's office, and, and to be fair, I helped out with your first ca- first campaign where you were unsuccessful. Your second campaign where you successful. Um, your first campaign, those meetings at Ponchitos, I made friends that I still stay in touch with. Um, but your time in office, there was some controversy. There was there was the vaccine issues, and you know there was the people that you would kind of engage with on social media or in the comment section of the San Antonio Express. Um, do, do you think those took away from the good work that y'all did in terms of the attention? You know, I don't know that. I guess the jury's out on that, but it, it, it didn't, I can't not be myself. I don't think there's a vaccine controversy. It's controversial just because people want to make it controversial. I have an opinion. I have an experience. I've looked at the data and the research. People want to call names, but then they don't know why they're calling people names. I don't live in the soundbite world. It's no different than someone coming up and saying, hey, Mr. DA, this is a law enforcement agency. Hey, Justin Hill's guilty. Okay, cool, he's guilty, why? Just because I said so. That doesn't fly, Mr. Law Enforcement Officer. So, I mean, I I look at the data, I I research things like I've done with my faith as I shared with you, I do it with everything I do. I mean, I vaccinated two of my kids from head to toe and and one of them is vaccine injured. I have no doubt about it. I can talk about it. I can talk about the science or lack of science. And the problem that I have with the whole vaccine issue is last time I checked, we still live in America. I know that's dwindling away as we speak, but free speech and freedom of thought, freedom of expression, why can't we agree to disagree and let's hash out and share a good, if my idea sucks, I should be able to share it without you calling me names. I can't walk into court or you can't walk into court and let's call each other names. We have to present evidence. We make a claim, we back it up with evidence and then the jury comes back with a verdict. But in this world, vaccines has become a religion. You wanna talk about faith? There's a religion of vaccines. And all I told people was like, look, why are we putting so much faith in big pharma? I mean, it's, it's not that we're putting, we're not trying to be mean to doctors, but opioid problem, whose problem was that? You know about the opioid problem, sure. right? We've talked about that. It, it was big pharma that bamboozled doctors. Let's just cut to the chase. They bamboozled doctors and we have an opioid epidemic. Not because people are selling opioids on the corner. Hey, Justin, you wanna buy some opioid? It's because pharma, misled people, including doctors, to say that they were not as addictive as they were. We know that from Virginia to us. When I was DA, we filed a lawsuit as the county, and you know that, against pharma for, for the opioid epidemic here and what it's cost our county and, and, re- and rehabilitation and things of that nature. And we know what they did with Vioxx. We know what we've done with other companies. We know what those notes said during that lawsuit. So I don't understand why that mentality cannot be applied if the evidence supports it to vaccines. There's no double-blind placebo studies. They're not considered a drug. They're considered a biologics. That's why you don't have to go through the phase four studies, phase one, animal detox, phase two, safety, phase three, efficacy, and then, and then post-marketing studies, that's phase four. We, we, they don't go through that. That's a problem for someone like me. I won't get into the vaccine discussion, but I didn't think it was controversial. I was just sharing my opinion. I can't divorce the fact from the fact that I'm the DA at the time that we were sharing it. Uh, president Obama shared his opinion about vaccines when he was the president. Uh, Governor Perry shared his opinions about vaccine, the Gardasil vaccine, when he was the governor. I happened to be the DA. It's just what I did. It wasn't who I was. I'm a daddy before I am the DA, and I have a vaccine-injured child. Um, I don't, to me, it was no big deal. I mean, I'm not going to be a fake-ass person just because I'm the DA. Yeah, I think, I think what I saw in some of the media coverage was less of the opinion and more about the fact you went on. I guess it was a documentary, right? I gave an opinion that I was, I'm on the second documentary, my wife and I, on the first one, I, you know, they had come into town, it's called Vaxxed, V-A-X-X-E-D. And, and so I wasn't on it, but I gave an opinion about vaccines 
And so people went ape shit over that, which is okay, I guess. I don't care. I mean, I really don't care. Yeah. When I when I when I'm holding my son because he's having a meltdown and I see him trapped in his own body and, and and he can't speak well and can't share with me his thoughts, and nobody's there, and there's no Brian Chasnovs or Gilbert Garcias or anybody else that thinks they have an opinion because they don't really have an opinion. They have a bunch of sound bites they bought into. Um and 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 I'm I have to give an answer to God and to my you know to my son someday, and I've done I've told him. I'm never going to let your voice be unheard just because you can't speak. I'm going to speak for you. I know what I saw. My son was not born that way. We have video and pictures. It's not in our history, in our family. And then I did some research. I finally became a good defense attorney for my son. And I started asking tough questions and people didn't have answers. I've talked to scientists from Merck that actually worked on the bench, as they say, in the actual laboratory. People that don't vaccinate their own kids. Look, if you want to vaccinate, vaccinate. Just don't. Don't call me names if you can't back it up. And I don't think that's a way to start a discussion by name calling. We don't run our justice system that way. So I don't think we should run the court of public opinion that way either if we're going to be good neighbors. Um, you have you sort of towards the end of your, your tenure, you had a very public spat with another lawyer. He is now the district attorney. Um, that became a public grievance issue and all those types of things. You kind of hit the ground running came in, coming back into the private sector. Um, your partners with... Well, I guess all of y'all left the DA's office, right? Yes, sir. We all, there's five of us here in the firm now. I'm blessed. Uh, they're just, I mean, I, I learn from them every day. They're, they're some of the best lawyers I've ever worked with when I was the DA and even now as a defense attorney. And, um, and ironically, on that grievance, I was, I was exonerated from the actual thing that got all the media attention. Uh, the, the whole threatening that was not found to be true in a grievance. And you know, the standard's low. That was found not to be true, but of course that didn't get any of the attention, except for Yami Virkin. I have to give her credit. She gave me an audience. You can go back and look at it. I watched I think it. I, yeah, I, I, she, she posted the whole interview. I thought that was very honorable of her. I have a very high opinion of Yami. I like Yami a lot. We're good friends. I, I have a high opinion about her and, and for a reason. I can give reasons why. Everybody else, it wasn't sexy. Okay, so they, they dinged me because in the middle of a trial, I said, I'm not going to let them lie and, and that he's not a killer. I mean, every DA in the history of Texas has said, Susan, we're going to string him up and they're guilty. Just by the fact that I indict somebody, I'm saying they're guilty or else I'm unethical for not indicting them. So there's a little technicality that nobody really focused on because we were worried about the, the serious, you know, character allegations that were unfounded and false and deceptively made. And, and we were exonerated on those and I'm honored and it was, it was a big deal, but of course it didn't get the attention, but so be it. That's the way it goes. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about attention. Since you've been gone, you've you've been associated with some high profile or high publicity cases, and most recently the 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 Judge Wolf uh, guy slapping the thing out of his hand, and and then our constable Michelle Barrientos. You're involved with those. Um, are you seeking out some of the more high profile stuff, or is it just kind of stumbled into your lap? Well, as you know, I don't seek anything out. Lawyers don't seek things out. I know we can advertise, but I don't seek anything out. I'm humbled that these people come to us as a team, that they trust their life. We take it serious. Um, it's not about the attention. It's not about, we just want to do great work for people. And, and so we, we are more seasoned on handling high profile cases. I think people know that. And I think anybody that comes to this firm knows we're not afraid to fight. We're not going to lay down. We're set up in a way that we don't have to try to put people through the system. We want to make sure we get the right result with, uh, for them. We give them the attention they deserve. And, and for clients of ours, Justin, as you know, with your clients, they don't give a crap about any other clients you have. To them, their case is the biggest case. And so we treat it that way. And thank God 
that Jay and I and Jason and all of us, we've put together a, a, a kind of a culture here where since there's five lawyers, two people can be out trying a case in a hearing and there's three more lawyers back here that are handling everything so people aren't, they don't fall through the crack. So, so the answer is no, we don't seek out those things. Uh, when we meet with people, we just talk to them. We don't try to sell them on anything. We're just gonna inform them about us and about the legal process, talk about our experience and then they can make a decision from there. So I guess seek out was the improper term. I mean, I will get calls sometimes and it will be like, hey, would you be interested in this case? There's uh, a profile to it and yeah. people know I'm happy to take those cases because I'm not worried about it. And I think that's probably y'all's reputation as well. Y'all aren't worried yeah, about publicity. Yeah, no, and even on the, the lowest public case we treat the same way which and you can talk to our clients we, we treat them the same way but no we, we're not we don't turn away from a high public case so i had a case uh with jay norton on the other side of me and we butted heads about 10 years ago and then ballantine was a neighbor of mine for years uh what are y'all mostly focusing on at your firm now a criminal defense a federal and state is at our focal point we work with other lawyers whether it's pi we don't do them directly we're litigators or family or things of this nature. We have some, some wills and some civil lawyers that we can refer cases to and work with. We'll litigate any case. We're trial lawyers, as you know, and you've been prosecutors as long collectively as we all have. We all have a lot of trial experience. And so I think that's really our selling point. Because as you know, in the justice system, when two sides can't come to an agreement, on the civil side or the criminal side, our arena is a, is a, is a courtroom. And we have to persuade 12 strangers for federal cases or felony cases or six people in misdemeanor cases that our position is correct and we want them to vote our way. And so I think people will trust our trial experience so, on both sides of it as prosecutors and former prosecutors and defense attorneys. Are y'all doing all types of criminal work, white collar, everything? White collar, drug cases, federal, state, both. I'm just kind of curious. What is sort of the most common stuff a, a defense firm sees a criminal defense firm? Is it mostly drugs? It depends. Drugs is high. When I was DA, I always met with the grand jury after they were done with their service, once they were finished. And everybody said the same thing. I am shocked how many drug cases we have in Bear County, from small to big ones. Yeah. And that's shocking. Um, a lot of drug cases, because I did the pre-trial diversion and some of the other programs were sort of justice, at least when I was a DA. I don't know if people saw those. Some lawyers focus on DWI. Some people focus on certain cases. I think with our wide range of, of experience, and I say this humbly and I'm honored because of, of all the experience that all the guys have, we can really handle a wide, like Patrick was in the white collar division. He was an appellate. He's board certified in appellate law and criminal law. He's one of our brainiacs. I mean, I'm the mouthpiece. He's the brains. Uh, Jason is board certified in criminal law. He's the one that, that led up our prosecution on, on Janine Jones. Jay's been practicing law for 35 years. I mean, he's experienced in the law of hard knocks and this old school from the old way. You know, and so then all of our, I think our CVs speak for themselves. So, and then Gary was a misdemeanor prosecutor and he's a great guy. Do you uh, talk to Del Cueto often? Often, as yeah. much as I can tolerate. I like him. I, love the guy. I talked to him this morning. I miss him. You know, I didn't want to interrupt his, but, you know, he, he had a part, he, he partnered up with somebody, Roland Ramos and him, and they're great lawyers and great friend. Andrew's more of a brother that, you know, a kind of a cousin that you never wanted, but closer to a brother. That everyone yeah. picks on just a little bit. I love him, man. <laughs> and that guy never, let me tell you about Andrew. He never bitched once when I ran, every time I ran and we were doing well. And he's like, oh, are you sure, Nico, you want to run? And I said, no, I'm not, Andrew, but I believe this is what I'm called to do. I believe this is what the Lord is asking me to do. And he says, okay. And then that was, and he was all in, man. And we took a lot of shit after it didn't work out against Susan, you know, kind of whatever you want to call that. 
and we just sucked it up and worked hard. And then when I, when I told him I wanted to run again, he's like, what? <laughs> but he's, he's, a, he's a great, he's a brother. Okay, so when you were elected, it's a good point to sort of pivot into this. You were elected by a, kind of a broad group of independents, but also progressive groups. You know, I've been listening to your already Christianity podcast and, you know, I've seen some of your interviews and you've taken a, a, a turn uh, sort of where you align politically, at least based on where the groups were that supported you and sort of the positions you take now on your show. Has there been something that's kind of caused you to make a right turn in your politics or sort of beliefs? No, they've been the same, Dad. If you talk to anybody, it's been the same. We just were in the Democrat Party was a, the nature. I have friends that are gay. I have friends that are transgender, transsexual, um, I, you name it. And they know I love them. Uh, my faith says one thing. My heart and the way I'm going to treat them as, as a, someone that I believe is an image bearer of God and that I love them and I see their value regardless. I mean, I have friends that commit adultery. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a broken ass vessel myself. I'm just hopefully a little bit less broken than I was yesterday. So I'm no, if you listen to the way I talk, Justin, what I, my faith, it's, it's, I'm really the same. I'm absolutely the same, obviously, because I'm talking on an apologetics, Christian apologetics podcast. I am actually teaching on and defending the Christian worldview, but the way I treat people, um, and the way I am and think and what I advocate, what I believed is the same. It's exactly the same, Dad. Who, who's your co-host on that? Uh, the, the real smart cat. The talkative one. <laughs> Which one? The one Salo who gets it going and bounces things off of you. Okay, well, Salo's not on every time. He's the, the, the Hispanic guy, Salo. Yeah. The, the one that has the accent. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's Salo. Um, uh, George is the brainiac guy that's just insanely intelligent. And him and I do a lot of teaching together. George is the other guy. Salo is the one that's the, yeah, the, the good mediator. Okay. And I've seen Brock House make appearances. Uh, Brock has a podcast in the same building before me. Okay. And if he's hanging out, I think it's, he's only kind of stuck his head in one time. He hasn't been on regular, which I would have him on if it was, if it was relevant to a Christian discussion. But he's not on regular person on there. Okay. So you, you talk about it in terms of Christian discussion. I mean, the one that I watched most recently was about hate speech and I kind of, it seemed a little belabored how it was mixing the two and then Brockhouse shows up and he's talking about the Chinese flu and it seemed kind of a mix of politics. And then you would get back to really dense political teachings and Bible verses. And it was sort of a strange mix of politics that then almost didn't match up with the teaching. Did that one just get off the rails or, or is this well, that, trending? Yeah, no, it was, it was just, we kind of go where the conversation goes. I don't think Brockhouse was, it was not planned for him to stick his nose in. I think Sal, not <laughs> stick his nose in, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but Saulo kind of brought him in because they were talking about it, I guess, earlier. I was talking about free speech and being able to talk. We've talked many times on politics and faith, um, politics gets confused with platform. Politics in the Greek, the politica, it means advocacy. You, you, you are a politician, Justin, you're advocating for something. And another definition of politics, which I think is very interesting is advocating for, listen to this, the affairs of the city. That's politics. So I believe that politics and your faith should go hand in hand. If someone is Islamic, they're going to advocate politic for their worldview in their platform. If someone believes in the LGBT movement, then they're going to advocate or politic their worldview in their platform or feminist or Taoist or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, agnostic or atheist. So politics, I think, to me, just means advocacy. Now, platform is a platform. Now, your platform is going to reflect your politics. 
your advocacy points, what, what you believe about pro-choice or pro-life, what you believe about a marriage, what do you believe about gender, what do you believe about sin and redemption, what do you believe about value in life and what God holds sacred and sex and sexual stuff. So those are, those are political issues today, but they're advocacy points for any worldview you're coming from. So I think the church has made a huge mistake not talking about issues that happen to be political, but they're just issues. Does that make sense? It does, but then you get into tax, you know, tax consequences if they started advocating political positions is one thing. What, so how do you view the separate, I mean, you agree there is a constitutional separation of church and state, I assume. No, there's no constitutional separate. That is, comes from a letter in 1801 from then President Jefferson to the Dansbury Baptists. If you look at the Articles of Confederation, the Constitution, the Declaration, the Federalist Papers, Bill of Rights, there is no separation of church and state. Matter of fact, it was the opposite. And I won't bore you because we teach on this, by the way. But there was a letter written to the Danbury Baptist where President Jefferson was thanking them for their support and their prayers. And if you, you, can, you can Google the letter, forget about what I'm saying. But he sees talking about context. We need to separate church and state. We don't need the state imposing on our right to express our views. And it's been bastardized because it got into case law. So it comes from case law. It doesn't come from our constitution. Okay. So John Adams was famous for saying that we were not founded on a Christian religion. And then if you really get, yeah, there's a famous quote where he says, our country is not founded on the Christian religion. I mean, that was John Adams and Thomas Jefferson is kind of famous for mocking religion, like Christianity and saying that he thinks later in life, it will be considered just another fable that people talk about. So our founding fathers kind of have a mix of all of that. So, I mean, what is sort of your background belief and sort of the way they helped frame things in light of the fact that some of them weren't devout, some were devout, and, you know, really, it, I don't think the, the Constitution ever said the word God or Christian anywhere in it. Declaration of Independence mentions God, creator, nature, and nature's God four different times and talks about the separation of powers, which comes from Isaiah 33, 22. God is the king, executive branch. God is the lawmaker, legislative branch. And God is the judge, the judicial branch. And so they got that framework. So it, my opinion doesn't matter. It's what the history calls for, right? So I look at the letters. John Adams is also famous for writing Abigail's wife. And before the First Continental Congress, they prayed for two hours. They fasted, and they studied four chapters of the Bible. One of them was Psalm 35. And he says, Abigail, we have the letters. Abigail, read Psalm 35. Tell your dad to study it. We can fight the British now. Now that we're done with the French-Indian War in 1763, we can fight. We can separate the 13 colonies, blah, blah. We had these wonderful letters that they actually did a Bible study before the First Continental Congress. And so... Um, I, so we know that 29, Justin, of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, from Benjamin Rush to Charles Carroll and all these people that, that people don't know their names because we only mentioned two or three of them, had the equivalent today of a Bible degree. 29 of the 56 founders. Now, there were some deists in there, and there were some people that were kind of lukewarm, but they all agreed that this framework had to come under some ideology. And there's some fascinating quotes that I won't bore you with right now from Congress and they're in the minutes, the House of Representatives in 1853 and 1856, that are pretty bold that no House, Congress won't mention these things today, but at some point I'll share them with you and I think your listeners would be fascinated, whether they agree or not, to hear it. It was very open. We were very open in, in our case law and in our declarations from government of our, of our ideology. So clearly you've read a lot into this. What is sort of the thinking behind why Christianity and God were excluded from our constitution? Because it explicitly allows freedom of religion 
therefore accepting the idea that everybody is free to practice any type of religion, it excludes things from the Declaration of Independence, which was, I mean, the Declaration was clearly a different function and meaning. So what is your sort of research showing or your reading to yeah. why it was excluded? What my research and my understanding is the Declaration was the philosophy behind the law and the Constitution is the law. But the Declaration was the philosophy. The Federalist Papers was the, kind of an apologetics to the Constitution and why we got to set up this thing as a constitutional republic and not a true democracy. And that was that first element of protecting ourselves from ourselves. Uh, George Washington has phenomenal statements like, you know, uh, it's impossible to run a nation without God in the Bible. He, he, he declared that he only survived the French Indian War because of a divine intervention because they had, the Indians had snipers on him and his jacket had holes in him. There was no reason that he should have survived. George Washington's farewell speech was more of a sermon if you go back and read it. And he warned about moral compass and our founding fathers wanted a virtuous people, like how we're gonna treat every, each other, what's our definition of right and wrong, and they wanted an educated populace. I mean, so when you look at the Declaration, it mentions God or our creator, nature, and nature's God four times. Inalienable rights, endowed, very specific word, by our creator, not by us. It wasn't by government, so government can't take them away because they didn't give them. Our founding fathers believed that the government role, one of them, was to protect you from you, someone infringing on your inalienable rights or unalienable rights from the creator. And so that was very clear. Now, the Constitution is a legal document that encompasses that philosophy. So they have two different roles. So what I learned is that you have to understand them for their specific roles in our, in our government. Well, I mean, you agree. There were Unitarians, there were deists. I mean, there yes, were Christians. Sure. So God sort of encompasses all of that as well. I mean, well they, they clearly meant that the, the Judeo-Christian God. It was very clear about that. And, and like I said, on a different show or maybe offline, we can talk about, I'm fascinated by their letters. Their letters are like their emails today. Their letters say a lot. Their speeches say a lot. Um, I, can, I can read to you what John Jay said. You know, John Jay is our first Supreme Court justice. He was number one, a, a huge move, movement in the abolitionist movement. But he believed that, that our country should prefer Christians as their leaders just because of that true a godly uh, nature of, of our leaders and that we can humble ourselves and not think that we have that DA syndrome or that president syndrome or that senator syndrome or that Supreme Court justice syndrome, that we all have to answer to something greater than ourselves. He advised that we should, pre we should pray over, over our juries. That's John Jay thought that. I think that's fascinating. And so there's so many letters and statements uh, from, our, from our government officials that I think would nobody learns anymore. I didn't know about it, J Justin. I mean, when I went into this deep dive, I was like, holy shit, are you serious? This is real. Why don't, I mean, I never knew this stuff. And I'm in, I'm in my 30s and 40s learning this stuff, you know? I'm 47 now, so I've, I've been at it for a little while. There's a series of letters between Thomas Jefferson and his nephew, I believe, that I remember reading in college. And Dershowitz wrote a book all about it, sort of discussing yeah. where, and, you know, some people were very devout. Thomas Jefferson was very almost mocking um, of people that had blind faith in, in a way. So there was kind of a mix of founding fathers where they fleshed out on things. And I, I found it very interesting when I was in college to start reading some of that. So I, I found the R-rated Christianity really interesting and in that, that you would get into these very deep discussions about Christianity and then come back to kind of some kind of pop politics as well. Is the show trending in a political angle? You know, Dad, I, it's just going to trend in a discussion of, of real issues. I mean, look, the, I think the church has, has really fallen on their ass as a whole, not every church, because they don't talk about issues that people have questions about. 
People have questions. Young people have questions. Older people have questions. Parishioners have questions. And I've literally heard pastors and churches say, oh, we don't address that issue here. Well, man, it's, it's, it's a fact. You, you expect these people to walk out of this room and live a Christian life and not know how that applies with this issue or that issue, or whatever it is. What's the biblical lens on this deal? Are there any churches in San Antonio you think do a good job of addressing those issues? I, I want to, because if I say that, then I'm going to talk about other people by default that aren't doing a good job. And so I'm going to re refrain from saying that just because I really don't want to embarrass or overly. Pump how about anybody. any authors? Any authors you think do a really good job of hitting on these issues? Uh, uh, biblical authors? I mean, I, I love a lot of apologists. Ravi Zacharias just went to the Lord recently. Um, he was a, a trailblazer. Josh McDowell was an atheist. And, I, and he is a lawyer, and I, and I, I like his work, uh, the, 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 the Case for a Verdict. Or the Evidence That Demands a Verdict is a really good book, and I love that he was an atheist. I mean, he wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid, singing Kumbaya, yeah. you know, in some church revival. He was an atheist. And Lee Strobel, as you know, was an atheist and was antagonistic to the Christian worldview. Jim Warner Wallace used to be a cold case detective. He was an atheist. And he, he, I, the people like that think like I do, or I think like them. I'm that kind of analytical my opinion doesn't matter. What does the evidence show me? I believe there's strong evidence for, for this worldview, for the Christian worldview. And so that's why Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, these are all like um, legal minds. And then Jim Warner Wallace were intriguing to me when I, and there's other people too, but those, those three. Do you out. teach? Do you, do you teach at Sunday school or preach or? I, I do. I do. I, I teach, uh, I do a men's Bible study, Justin, that I've been doing for coming up on 11 years, every, every Wednesday. And then I, George and I, the other guy, not Saulo, but the other guy, him, him and I teach quarterly on some of these apologetic issues and churches and our church, our, our pastor allows it. Okay. You're already Christianity and look, you've got a political past and you still talk a lot about local politics and the city as a whole and how we're doing. Uh, you recently popped up discussing Ron Nuren's, Nuremberg's language that he used that you disapproved of. Uh, I, I saw you even mention you might run again. What are some of the issues that you think are facing San Antonio at this time that really need to be addressed? I, I mean, I, I, I wish it just seems like our, our leaders are pushing uh, an agenda that, that maybe is antithetical to our traditional values that we have here. And I'm just talking about an idea of shutting down discussion, of getting away from a biblical understanding of, of society. That's it. And we, the, oh, let's be clear, because what, what, what Ron did, and I know Ron, I like Ron as a person. I have no issue with Ron as a person that I know, at least what I think I know of him. I had an issue with him. I mean, look, I, I, I use the F word. I, I, I use slang. Christians freak out, whatever. I never use the Lord's name in vain. It matters to someone that believes what I believe. And people try to put that word in the same line as a slang word. I don't think that's true. And he used GD in a discussion. I just I have a right to express that. People try to attack me and, you know, whatever. And that's fine. They have a right to do that. I'm just telling you that you can't even draw a picture of, of Muhammad without the Islamic community coming at you. And, and good for them. They want to defend their faith and their religion and the way they believe. But Christians don't defend our worldview the same way. And that's all I'm encouraging people is to know what you stand for, draw a line in the sand, and have discussions. I was not happy about Chick-fil-A being kicked out of, 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 of the airport. Um, Chick-fil-A is, is a great business, period, end of story. We know that. Um, and, and the reasons, the initial reasons that were given for it, Justin, I mean, really attacked, if you will, since we're, we're, you know, we, we use that word a lot these days, a, a Christian worldview. The reasoning is why they did it. They adjusted and they kind of audibled at the end. But, but that's all. And I just, I've shared my opinion. And I, I invited Ron on the show, as you know. He's welcome to come on anytime. 
He can politic from the show and give his case why he should stay in mayor. I'll give him that platform. I'll ask him some questions. Just like when he goes to the Islamic community, they ask him tough questions, I'm sure. I've been in there, LGBT asks you some tough questions and they, as they should. Other people ask questions. Well, the Christian worldview and groups should do the same thing. And Ron is welcome anytime. He has my number. He's welcome on the show anytime. What, you, you mentioned in one of your shows I was watching that you like Ron a lot. Um, you think a lot of his policies are trash. And I guess what I was trying to figure out is other than, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A, um, what are some of the things that you think directionally or from a policy standpoint that you think we're getting off the, wrong, the right path? Um, uh, this whole defunding the police, if we're going that route, man, that's just really dangerous. And let me tell you why. I mean, obviously, this is where my wheelhouse is. There's no data that backs that up. There's just no data that backs that up. And I just, I've never given into the mob mentality, Justin, you know that? My yes is a yes, my no is a no, I'm transparent. I meet with people, I made myself available. I never told people what they wanted to hear. I told them what I believe was the truth. I was always open to being corrected if I was mistaken or wrong. You have to, right? How can you do that? Just because you hold the title or you're a public servant, that doesn't mean that you're right. Man, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep learning until the day I leave this earth. I, oh, I think so. that's I a great point because so many times people are lambasted if they change their mind. Facts change, they learn more, they go, oh, now I think this, and they're considered flip-flopping. J Justin, I, I changed death penalty decisions at the last minute. People should want that. There was a person in the office that was gonna get released and, and terminated on an issue that came, it was, it was, and then he goes, can I speak? Can I just say one more thing? We had already made up our mind at the council and then I had made up my mind as the DA at the time, but I said, yes, you can. He told me something and the people joked with me the whole time I was in the office. They said, Nico, we knew, we saw your face, you changed your mind. Because he told me something that was truthful and it made sense to me. And even though it would have looked whatever, because I changed my mind because we were going to let him go and I didn't, it was one of the best decisions I made. It blessed him, his family, it blessed me, it blessed all of us. We had a great relationship at that point. And I'm just glad that I was humble enough to be open to truth and that I was persuaded to, to respond to truth the right way. And I just don't think that happens. I think that we get so nervous because we want to appease everybody, a lot of po politicians. I mean, what's wrong with disagreeing? I've had tough conversations, Justin, and we disagreed leaving the conversation. We had a tremendous respect for each other. We actually shook hands meaningful. Many of us hugged and that was it. But we disagreed. That's, that's life. That's our society. So back to the defund police thing. I, I think the city passed an $8 million increase in the police budget and kind of in the middle of all of this. So when you say right. you're critical of the defund the police, just generally the movement, or do you think San Antonio's failing on that? Sorry, the movement, which, which seems like it's, I hope it's not going to come here. I think we, we're a family uh, society culture. Um, we're really a very traditional culture with heavy Hispanic and Mexican influence. Uh, very faith influence, you know, with Catholic denominations and faith and things of this nature, very close knit. I just hate division, Justin. I do. And just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you have to be divided from that person. I really hope people can let that sink in. You can disagree with someone and not have to be divided. See, the problem today, Justin, is to disagree with each other politically, you have to hate each other. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. I have friends. That's insane. Yeah. What are you talking about? I mean, no, I, I don't, I, I will never buy into that, that dialogue. I disagree with some dear friends of mine passionately. And then we have our debates and we work it out. Like we, you know, just kind of this passionate discussion, never disrespectful. And then we go back to loving each other and doing life together. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Yeah. Cause I don't yeah. want it to be so tribal right now. What I see is so much tribalism. I mean, like I said, I mean, I was called homophobic and I mean, you can ask it. I mean, I have close friends 
that live the gay lifestyle, and they'll, they'll tell you there's nothing homophobic about Nico LaHood. They'll tell you that. Not me, they will tell you that. And they know it. I love on them, I love them. They're welcome in my home, and, and I'm gonna protect them. And if anybody tries to hurt them, they'll have to go through, I mean, it's that type of relationship, but I have a, an idea and a worldview that I believe is, is biblical, and they have a different one, and that's okay. We still live together and do life together. I just don't think it's that, I think it's easy, maybe difficult to live out because people get influenced by this mob mentality or what they think they need to do. I, I just don't, I don't understand it, Justin, to be honest with you. Well, it's like everybody has to fit into two buckets now. Either you buy into all of this junk or you buy into all of this and you got to buy it all or you buy none. Well, brother, I was real critical of, of Governor Abbott on one of our podcasts. Um, and, you know, I, I don't give a crap. I mean, I, was, I think he handled a lot of the things. He backtracked on what he said about the masks and people's rights and all this other crap. I'm going to call him out. I mean, lovingly. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's cool. But I don't agree with someone. I, I speak truth to the Christian worldview, to, any, to myself. I, I humble myself. And if I'm wrong, Justin, I, I apologize. That's all you can do and then get better. Yeah. So you mentioned division. And the most divisive thing in my entire time living in San Antonio was the uh, city fight over the union contracts. And, you know, Brockhouse was really in the middle of a lot of that and the unions. And then they started running ads about our city manager. What was sort of your take on that? Because you were, you were in the district attorney's office at that time. Yeah, it was. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll say it, brother, because, you know, I'm going to be consistent. I'm not a fan of Mike Haley. I'll say it to his face, but he'd never give me the opportunity because he always walks the other way when I walk into a room when I was DA. He lied about me. He was, to me, he was a notch better, or the same as some of these other journalists. That He's I think the police union president. He, he, currently, I think yeah. he's retiring now. Um, I don't wish harm on him. Again, I would talk with him if he ever wanted to, but he lied about me. So I'm not a fan of Mike Haley's. Um, I'm not, the union never endorsed me, which I could care less. I, you know, I supported law enforcement when it was appropriate to support them. And I prosecuted law enforcement officers when they did wrong. And that's just the way a, a, you want a DA to do. Like you said, don't buy into one camp. I'm in the camp of justice when I was DA in truth. Um, so I really didn't get as involved in that as you think I did. I mean, people think, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a county issue. I don't stick my nose in people's business. I'll stick my heart in their problem if they ask but I don't stick my nose in people's business. And so I didn't have all the details, so I didn't want to give an opinion because I don't know all the history of their, of their negotiations. Um, I think there's some valid uh, points that I heard on both ends, but I didn't have enough information to formulate my own opinion. But the division you must not have liked. Oh, no, I don't like division at all. I, mean, it I really don't. super personal all around. I, I thought it was wrong. Yeah. Look, I disagreed with Scully on a lot of things, but man... I just can't stand that. That's wrong. I mean, we got to fight fair. It's almost like the coyote and the, and the sheepdog on Bugs Bunny. Hey, Ralph, hey, Fred, you check in, you go at each other, you check out, you had lunch together, you check back in, you go at each other, and they walked home together. That's not politics today, man. It gets ugly and personal. And how do you, I just think it's wrong. I, I really, I think it's immoral, to be honest with you. Now, if it's truthful what you're saying, then the truth is the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. But man, they, they just got real personal, and I just don't like that stuff. So are you involved? Politically now at all? Are you involved in any campaigns? Do you have any advocacy issues you're involved in? No, Daddy, I'm, I'm really not. I mean, I, I'm, I'm running after my kids. I'm enjoying my time with my children. Do I believe that I will get into politics or, or platforms or run for office again at some point? I, I probably will, uh, to the dismay of my wife, but I won't do it without her permission. And, and, it, and I say it that way because although I lead our family, she runs our home. And I, I, I adore my wife, and she's way too good. She put up with a bunch of shit. Um, she had to see the commercials, the name calling, the lies. She laid low. We, you know, we have a special needs son. And so she ran the house with four kids. 
I was speaking and going to meetings and doing appearances and doing things that a DA should do as a public servant. I was gone six, seven days a week sometimes, always on call. She never complained once, Justin. So if anybody ever has any, hey, thanks, Nico, for your service, man, thank my wife. I mean, she really sacrificed in my kids. And I, I didn't know what to do the first couple of months on weekends. I didn't know what a weekend was. It took a little more than a couple of months. But, and I'm enjoying our time. I'm, we're in a different season right now. I'm very grateful to God for it. And, but at some point, I, I, I believe, I feel that I will. I can't say it's now. I have not got on any campaigns because I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I got phone calls to run for county commissioner when- That was my bet. I, I was betting. On, I was yeah. chatting with some people that you were going to run for that seat. And that's my area. And to run in that area versus a whole county, and Bear County is a big-ass county, by the way, um, it just wasn't right time, brother. And I, I prayed about it. It didn't take long before God gave me that answer, that discernment, that common, common sense. And I couldn't do that to my family. And it wasn't about pride. It's easy to make it about pride and to want to win and do all this crap and, you know, give the middle finger to people. If, that wouldn't have been the right thing to do. That definitely wouldn't have been the humble thing to do. And so I stay focused on my family. So most people that have like political aspirations or, or think they're going to run for something in the future, they typically have some issues that are very important to them or that they think they can make an improvement on. What are some of the things that you still, even though you're outside of public office, you think need improvement and, you know, maybe need your leadership? Going through what I've gone through, through the justice system, myself and seeing dealing with the, the social experiment called the justice system, I think we have a moral bankruptcy issue. The problem we have today is that nobody wants to talk about morals because then you have to talk about a moral lawgiver and then we're back at that conversation again about faith or religion or however you want to classify it. But there has to be a definition of right and wrong. I mean, people don't even see half the cases that come through the DA's office. They just don't. If you saw the cases that I dealt with when I was DA, you wouldn't sleep for a month. But that's just the way it goes. And so I, I, I truly want to see men and women just to live as good neighbors. How do we do that? That means we have to buy into some idea. I don't like division. I don't like strife. I don't. We can have disagreement. Disagreement is not strife. There's a difference. You can disagree all day long, but it doesn't mean, like I said earlier, you're not divided. And any position that will help me bring unity, not agreement, unity, there's a difference, um, that I'd be open-minded to doing that in a very meaningful and purposeful way. Um, but I would consider, number one, my wife first. I pray about it. Number two, my wife. Number three, I would talk to my, my business family. I mean, look, it, it's, I'm not just on, I'm not a lone ranger anymore with my wife. I have a law, I have law partners. I have families that depend on me and depend on the firm. And so I, I will not make a selfish decision. And I'm not saying there's any decision to make, by the way, don't get crazy. But, but so it'll just be a timing thing. And I'll know when I know. I mean, I, I knew last time. And you have officially left the Democratic Party, right? I, I did, I guess. If there's an official way to do it, I don't know how there's an official way to do it. Well, I think I saw an article where you said you had left. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I just said that I can't, I mean, look, I mean, how many, in the Democrat primary, I was attacked for, again, to be consistent with what I was saying earlier, I was attacked for many biblical positions I had that never even affected the DA's office. I mean, no one, again, when you looked at the results, and thank you for bringing that up earlier on in the interview, I'm proud of the results we did in three, three years. Because, you know, the last year with campaign and everything else, we did a lot of work. And I say we, because there's no way I could have done it by myself. And there's a whole list I don't have with me right now that, of course, we, we put together when I was campaigning. And I look at it and I marveled at it, but I take no credit for it. It was because of the people that I surrounded myself with that my weaknesses were their strengths. And that made me a better servant. Now, I stood in the front. I took all, I'll take all the shit downhill, but I'm going to give them all the credit. So I put our three years up against literally any district attorney that I've seen statewide, maybe even nationally. But I think we're in the running. So it was a wonderful uh, 
time to serve. I was humbled by the trust. And I'm okay with where I'm at right now. I didn't like the way it happened. I thought it was very dishonest, but it didn't matter. It, it, we are where we are and it's okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on COVID and sort of how things are moving forward in the county? Do you think we'll be in trial ever in 2020? I hope so, brother. In 2020, no, I don't think we'll be in trial in 2020. I think COVID is real. Um, I, I look at data. I talk to people that are smarter than I. I look at death rates. The death rate is ridiculously low. Case numbers doesn't matter to me. You know, last year, like I think, and I, don't hold me to this, like something like 1.5 million people worldwide died from TB. We didn't shut down the world economy for that. We're at 700 or in 750,000 worldwide. And I know there's some question on how they keep track of it. You know, numbers, and if you die with COVID versus from COVID, Dr. Burke said they were going to be generous about how they're going to classify that. And so I just, you know, masks, no mask in March, mask now. I look at the studies on masks and bacteria versus viral load and viral droplets and how big in nanometers, how big they are and what a surgical mask is for, for bacteria. And I've talked to my surgeon friends and people that work for pharma and wear the mask and how they go into a, uh, a testing center. I, again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a small government guy. I'm a small government guy. I don't want people's rights infringed on. Many defense attorneys are real big on the, you know, First Amendment and Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizures and right to due process and right to effective assistance to counsel, right to, I'm, I'm for all of them. <laughs> number one is number one for a reason. I'm a, I'm, a num, I'm a Second Amendment guy, responsible gun ownership. And I say that uh, very passionately, responsible gun ownership. I love all of our constitution. And so I, I, I wanna defend all of it. And that means if, if government's big, then the citizen is small. And I'm for a big citizen. I'm for a citizen that can accomplish anything. And I'm for equality of opportunity. Give that person the same opportunity as that person and let the chips fall where they may. Work your ass off, be accountable, have a moral compass, do good work, be honest, be accountable, and the sky's the limit for you. And I think we have hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of examples in this great country of rags to riches. And it's only because of a small government and a big person. And I'm for the individual. Do you have, are you, last I knew you had a bunch of business interests. Are you, are you really just legal focused now or do you still have your hands in a bunch of different interests? Um, I was part of a, of a gym at one point. I mean, obviously when I was DA, I made sure I wasn't involved in a lot of things because I, you know, wanted to be focused on being the DA. Um, right now it's just a firm. It's, it's family and the firm and it's, it's plenty. And then of course, whatever the podcasts are that I do the podcasts, um, that's not a business interest. It's just more of a thing that I do. When are the podcasts? Uh, Thursday night at 8.30 and then Saturday morning on iHeartRadio at 9 a.m. Oh, it goes on the radio. The same one? No, not the same one. It's called Sidebar with Nico LaHood. It's more of a current events deal. Okay. Uh, politics? Politics, law, life, law, and liberty, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's everything. Are you involved with any nonprofits or charities in the cities? Um, I have, yes. I'm still part of some more church stuff. Yes. You know, feeding the homeless, things of that nature, ministry opportunities. Um, single moms, things like that. Yes. Well, I had a um, pub theology, Gavin, Gavin Rogers on, and uh, do you know him? No, I He's don't. An assistant minister at Travis Park, but he also does Corazon Ministries that feed the homeless and all that. Good. He's a, I mean, the guy's a great dude. I mean, he does a lot for the homeless. He does a lot for our city. Um, he's a man of faith. Uh, Nico, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope we can get you back on uh, live maybe in six months. But when we'll have more to talk hours, about. You tell me, you tell me wherever you want, brother. I'm now, there. Okay. Tell Brockhouse to come on. I had, okay. I had Cheryl Scully on, so I'm sure he'd love to. Brock with you. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll reach out. Serious, to him. I don't know how to get in touch with him. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, he has his podcast in the same building and that guy Salo that you saw on our podcast um, works with him on that podcast. So I can definitely get hold of him. Yeah. That'd be great. 
Well, Nico, hold on real quick. All right. 